you're 25 and you have 27 rental properties, right? Yes, sir. I'm 43 and I got 25. So like when I was 25 years old, I had zero rental properties. So you're like, you're probably 15 years ahead of where I am in a lot of people, which also shows too, like anybody listening to, you don't have to be like a 40, 50 year old person. You don't have to have a lot of money. You got into this when you were 20. This is Eat, Sleep, Invest, the marketing podcast for real estate investors to get more deals. Hey, welcome back everyone to another episode of Eat, Sleep, and Invest. I'm your host, Brian Driscoll. I'm here with Liam Dalbo. What's going on, man? Not too much, man. Appreciate you having me on. Hey, thanks for coming on. So Liam, you're, you're originally from Pittsburgh. Where are you at now? I am in North Carolina. I live in High Point. Um, so I'm in the main market of the triad of North Carolina, which is Greensboro, High Point, and Winston-Salem. So let's get a little background first. Transparency too. Liam's one of our clients. He does really well with our service. So we pulled him on here because I basically want to see like, what are you doing? How can other people benefit from it? Things like that. But first, how'd you get into real estate? Cause it, just, just start there. How'd you get into real estate? I love this story because I came to North Carolina, went to High Point University, and I was studying pre-med. So I was completely wanting to be a doctor, go down that route, just found myself hating my time at college, was just studying 24-7 and dropped that, dropped baseball at the same time. And then just saw this university here growing like crazy and eventually found uh, two properties that I wholesaled to my school and kind of found where they were growing. And then I was like, wow, this is this is insane, you know? Made some good money off of those deals and then just kept on kept on looking for more and have branched into doing deals pretty much any any market in North Carolina now. Okay, cool. So you went to school in a medical field. Yep. And you're like, I'm just out of here. Like, what's going on? That's a drastic thing. Like, what, what were you thinking? It was a lot because, I mean, it's tough. You got to decide what you want to do with your life at 18 you know, years old. And I was just wanting to do something that made money and... I think wholesale real estate, fix and flip real estate is not something that comes to people's mind right away when they think of, you know, how do I want to make money? So I kind of just stumbled into it, didn't really have a mentor and, uh, you know, just really was learning a ton off YouTube whenever I was still studying pre-med. So that's where my interests were. That's where my my passion I felt like was and drop pre-med. And then, the, you know, really just the rest is just learning as much as I possibly could, being around people that were in, you know, situations that I wanted to be in and, I'm so glad I did it. <laughs> yeah. How old are you now? I'm 25. Okay. So you're 25. And how long have you been in real estate? About five years. I started like my junior years when I closed my first wholesale deal. And funny story about that too. I was literally in class and I dropped some sticky notes on foreclosures, mailboxes, doors, whatever. Got a call. I was like, Oh my God, what do I do? You know, and eventually closed the deal in the hallway of my business class that I had. It's awesome. Yeah. How much you make on that deal? It was a 14k deal. So I mean, for me at the time, I was a broke college kid. I I didn't, you know, have a couple hundred dollars to my name at the time. So once I had that and got the check, I had the sense of this is real and was just like, this is what I'm doubling down on. So what do you tell people in college right now? (laughs) Find what you like and don't be scared to try different things. I mean, I, I was speeding down the wrong path and just was wanting to succeed at it because I wanted the money side of it, but. Do what you love, money will come. And I think sales for me was just something that I, I flourished in and did well in. So not being behind the book or, or screen or you know, doctor, what I was studying all the time. Yeah, and that's good. That's good advice too, because college is right for some people. It depends. Like me, it wasn't. I went to college for like a week. I'm like, I'm out of here. I tried dropping out. My my dad, I'm glad I finished because I got the degree, but I don't use use it much at all. But it's definitely for for some people and completely not for other people. So yeah. So yeah, good good advice there. Follow your heart, do what you like, and you'll be good at it if you do it that way. 
Okay, so now your strategies, what exactly are you doing in the real estate space? Like what, you wholesale, flipping, burn, innovations? I mean, everything. Um, I've, I kind of think all of those are, are tools that you should have in your belt for different things. I would say mostly I'm probably 60% fix and flip. So if I have 10 deals, I'll say six of them are, are fix and flip. I'll say one or two is a good rental. And then I'll say I maybe wholesale, maybe another one or two. Surprisingly, right now, I've got a good amount of novations going on where I'm just pretty much partnering with the homeowner where you know the cash offer route didn't work. They know they can list it, but they don't want to. And these are the ones that are kind of just cosmetic renovations that I can go in, do some paint, you know, lighter renovation kind of things. And I'm just partnering with them and pitching it in a way that I can say, hey, you, know, you can list your property for this. It's going to take time. It's going to take showings. You know, it's going to take commissions, but it may net you this at the end of the day if it sells, if and when it sells. Why don't we put this thing to the market in absolutely, you know, 100% updated condition and, you know, net more money for you because it's going to get you more than the cash offer route. And then it's also a way where, you know, I can make money as well. I'm not trying to make a million dollars on a deal, but if I can go in and, you know, do the, the cosmetic lipstick things, you know, I've been doing a good amount of those. I've been hearing that from a lot of people too. A lot of the really successful guys have multiple, basically multiple ways to solve problems. 100%. I mean, I, I don't think wholesalers are going to, if they're still around just wholesaling, it's very hard to just have one exit strategy. So that's something I've kind of realized over the past years. I started off just 100% wholesaling. So once I kind of had the knowledge to start taking down some of these flips, build some resources to have crews that can, you know, they, they help me and show me as well. I had some really good guys I met. That's where I really, and I don't come from any kind of construction background at all. I, I really was kind of quite the opposite. So I feel, you know, if you're watching this and you have no idea about fix and flips or no idea about renovations, you can, you know, find people to help you or you really just I'm the kind of person that I learn really much, you know, really well as I go. I love the saying, you know, jump out the nest, learn fly on the way down. So I was I took on my first fix and flip and had very minimal knowledge in renovations and stuff and just really got good at it over the years of doing, you know, hundred seller flips every every other year. Who'd you first hear about like wholesaling? Who'd you learn from? It was funny. There was a small guy on YouTube I saw. I think his name was Igor Kajpus. He's in LA. He's not a big guy on social media or anything, but I saw a video of him. It was like an interview like this. And he was in high school. He explained how he, he was driving a purple Bentley. And I remember the time and place like it was yesterday. I was at you know a family vacation and you can only go jump in the pool how many times when you're you know in college. So I was literally so interested in this guy's videos and basically saw him. And then I kind of got down the rabbit hole of YouTube. Max Maxwell was a big one because he's in my market. He was in Winston-Salem before he moved. He was a big one. I love Jerry Norton. He was another good one. And then Sean Terry, talked to people. That, was a, that one resonated with me pretty well because it's really... you know If you want to do more deals in this space, it really is about a numbers game of talking to more people, having more good conversations, being able to help more people. And you will definitely be able to correlate that to making more money. Those are some big names too. Yeah. Cause basically you can learn a lot of this stuff right on YouTube for free. You yeah. Know? So the information's out there. All you gotta do is go find it. Mm -hmm. I learned everything off of YouTube. I, I would give YouTube the majority of the credit. Like I didn't take any kind of class. I didn't have any kind of mentor that was teaching me everything. It was just a really, all the information's out there. Go make use of, of that. And Put it to work. Right. Yeah. Cause a lot of people, I think they need to think they need to go spend the, like sign up for the $5,000 course, $10,000 course, maybe 20 years ago you did, but not now.
Those are everywhere too. And I mean, I've never bought one, but I've heard from many people that they just wanted their money back or it's, it's a very you know trendy thing right now is selling a course. I've never done it, but I find it, I find it a little bit too popular, you know, courses right now. And the costs are insane. Like you said, I've seen some of them go to, to 15, 20 K. So it can really be a substantial investment when I think all that information is really out there. If you just put the time into, you know, do the research on your own, it's not going to be in a perfect formatted course like some of these will be, but you can write down questions and learn as you go. Yeah. Now you hold some of your properties as rentals too, right? I do. I've got 27 rentals. So that was a huge thing for me was I think my first 50K I made in wholesale, I spent about 40 on my first rental, which was a mistake at the time. I would say that's not something you should do because I wanted to get the business side growing, but I was obsessed just with the passive income side of things with the you know long-term wealth side of things. And then I quickly ran into the problem of you make all this money, but it's not about what you make, it's what you keep. So I started to use some tax strategies with rental properties and cost segregations, bonus depreciation, all that stuff I got really good at at a pretty young age. So rentals were something that made... For me, that's just always been my pretty much long goal. And that's my, my end goal too, is just wanting to have enough rentals to where I can pretty much just rely off of that passive income and... I mean, it's not passive. I'll say that. You know, it's not passive with how many rentals and headaches you get with it, but it's still lucrative even with that kind of stuff. Yeah. And so we'll put something in perspective here. You're 25 and you have 27 rental properties, right? Yes, sir. I'm 43 and I got 25. Yeah, so so like there. when I was 25 years old, I had zero rental properties. So you're like, you're probably 15 years ahead of where I am in yeah. a lot of people. Which also shows too, like anybody listening too, you don't have to be like a 40, 50 year old person. You don't have to have a lot of money. You got into this when you were 20. Yeah. And I mean, I don't have, it's not like I've, I've made, you know, zillions of dollars where I just buy all these properties cash or whatnot. I am a huge method, just like you on the burn method. And one deal that we can, you know, specifically talk about maybe later that I got from you guys was probably the best deal I've ever had. It was a bird deal that cash flows around 500 a month and it paid me. Buying this house paid me around 60 grand. After you know, I got my loan, after my closing costs and everything. So I've been able to get paid by buying properties, whereas I'm not just dishing out tons of money each time. It's just a matter of cash flowing and getting a super, super good deal. Yeah, you just gotta get the right deal, right? Hundred percent. What do you use in terms of leverage for your rentals as well? Like, do you are you a you know eighty percent you know loan to value kind of guy, or how do you how do you structure your burrs? So what I do is I do commercial loans, twenty year, five year adjustable. Mm -hmm. I'll usually say I buy a property for like 100, for example, for an even number. I put yeah. like 30 into it. It might appraise at 230. I only pull my initial cash back out. So I leave my equity. So I'm, I do, it's 80% loan to value, the loans that I do. But normally I'm like 50, 55% leveraged, but I don't need it for the income either. Yeah. I, I think, you know, 70% is the highest I go. I mean, if I can keep it at 55%, that's great. But I was just on this, like that deal I was just talking about. I was like, all right, let's, let's, this is one that I can pull money out. Be at seventy percent and still cash flow five six hundred dollars. You know, after all expenses was was just a, a no brainer. So yeah, it's it's like the deal you just said. You you basically had zero dollars of your cash in on the deal, and you've been able to do twenty five rentals. So that's how you really get to stacking quickly. And you're right because I, I go back and forth on that. Sometimes it's like okay, pull some of the cash out because you're only paying five percent, whatever the interest rate is at the time, and right. you can turn that in, and you can usually double your money or 50%, whatever you can do with it if you have a cash. So I go back and forth on that sometimes too. It's like, ah. Uh, that 60K, if you do the math on it, you know, I think I paid around 6.7% interest when I got that property. 
it comes out to like I, you know less than right around like five grand or something. And if I put that money back into my fix and flip business or back into spending, you know, buying more leads, I mean, it, it you know, six X is whenever I spend money with you. So, and other marketing channels and things too. So I was all about that. You know, real estate is a game where you have to have, you know, money to kind of to spend in the, um, after you, you know, not in those wholesale stages, but if you're fixing flipping, you know, once you're buying as many leads or, you know, paying for as many leads, you have to spend X to generate Y. So. I was all about getting that cash out and just making it into marketing dollars, basically. Yeah. So, okay. So we established you use us for marketing, but what other marketing channels do you find effective also that investors should be looking at? Yeah. And that's a great question because I think, I think it rotates. I, I have probably seven to eight channels that I, you know, have KPIs on and tons of data on. But as you know, things come and go. So like I was, I, 2020, I was huge on SMS. I did deals in eight different states and 2020 just off of SMS selling to institutional buyers and hedge funds and things like that. But SMS got extremely regulated to where it wasn't worth really putting in that, you know, the, the juice wasn't worth the squeeze there. So uh, things weren't getting delivered. You were spending, you know, say $800 on a subscription to be able to send out these mass texts. So that wasn't, something I do too much anymore of. I would say I rotate. My big things are cold calling, paper lead. I do a ton of Google, SEO, Facebook kind of things. So I, I try and generate a good amount of leads organically where they're coming to me versus me reaching out to them. Those are always the best kind of deals. And SEO is something that I've put a good amount into where you don't really see the money that you spend right away. It's not like you get a, an ROI off of it. But the website deals... Let's say I do three or four. Those are by far the highest assignment fees, by far the highest flips because, you know, they are reaching out on Google for a quick solution. And if you're there and able to, to nurture them, I feel in a way that's something I, I think I, I definitely stick out with is the sales process and how I can talk to people, go through that route. But back to your question, I would say cold calling, Google, Facebook, SEO, paper lead. I do some direct mail here and there. And then another thing for me is, is really big is referrals. I love trying to build a network of agents and other wholesalers that have a trusted you know, buyer. And that could mean a wholesaler is just getting started and they say, Liam, what do you think of this deal? Do the numbers make sense? Where do you need to be? I love building those kind of relationships and try and do more of that because it's a free marketing channel too. And you're just getting yourself out there and you're able to help them get started, agents make a commission and, and structure a deal. So I, I think just rotating between those five, six, seven I just mentioned is good. And keep track of your KPIs because the last thing you want to be doing is having seven of those actively running and just not knowing where your money's going. I did that for, for quite a bit and it's just burning money at that point. So KPIs are very important. Key performance indicators. But you know what? I'm going to ask you about your KPIs in a second that you track. But what I'm hearing for everyone listening to have multiple dispo strategies and also multiple marketing strategies. Because like you're saying, SMS crushed it, might not crush it now. Or Facebook might be crushing it and you go through elections or e-commerce like during Christmas and the costs skyrocket. You don't want to be relying on one channel. Like have multiple things going if you can. 100%. I mean, even I say I go between three and four of those, but at times I'll, I'll rotate even more. So if it's working and it's producing money, I will keep it going. And if it's not, I go back and look at it and think, is there certain things I can tweak? Is there certain things I can adjust so I could have all of these channels, you know, omnipresence working at one time where it's just generating, it's, it's, you know, cash you put in X, like I said, you generate Y. So it's just a cash cow at that point. But 
hundred percent. Don't be a one trick pony with just cold calling or, you know, if you're starting off, try and try and get into a few different things because I actually started off with cold calling and didn't really produce that well. And then once I actually closed a deal from either another agent or a sticky note, door knock, you know, put it into Google ads, Facebook ads. And that's where I started to do well is once I tested different things, see what works and then just doubling down on that, that channel. Yeah, that's solid advice. KPIs. Let's talk about that because you were saying sometimes a lot of people just throw money down the toilet and don't know where it's going. So what KPIs are you tracking on your marketing? Yeah. I mean, I think the most important is your cost per deal. A lot of people look at cost per lead. You have to check into how much, how many leads it'll take for you to, you know, close a deal. So I look at if I'm paying, if I'm doing paper lead and I'm spending, let's say 350 bucks lead, I need to be able to know I'm spending this amount of money and I'm generating this amount of leads to be able to make you know, my average assignment fee. So I'm a huge numbers guy. I always like to, you know, reverse engineer everything. So if you can close, you know, a very, I think one in 15 is a pretty good, you know, a good benchmark is what I try and shoot for. And if you're paying, just making numbers easy, a hundred bucks a lead, you're spending $1,500. If your average assignment fee is 10K, you're really killing it that way. So my numbers aren't nearly as that good, but I really look at my cost per deal as the number one thing for a marketing channel because, you know, paper lead, I say one in 15, cold call, maybe, you know, one in 35, one in 30. So that's why I really mentioned that, you know, you have to really stay on top of things because if you're, if you're doing paper lead and you're one in 30, there's a huge conversion issue and you're not going to be able to, you know, be able to really make money off of that. It's just going to be spending on marketing to get a deal done to break even, which is not what you want to do at all. So cost per deal is huge. Cost per lead, know how many leads you need to get to be able to get a deal and then what's your average deal size. So those four things I think are non-negotiable for any marketing channel, any anything that you're doing fix and flip wise, wholesale wise, or just spur as well. And you're right. Yeah. Cause a lot of people look at, oh yeah, what's my cost per lead or cost per appointment? Doesn't matter. Like the cost mm-hmm. per deal matters. And then you have to look at it too when you're just, like somebody just starting out might be able to get a cost per deal like a thousand bucks door knocking, but you gotta you gotta pay with sweat. Exactly. Or once you need more time and you actually did a couple of deals, then it's like, okay, you know what? I got to buy my time back. Maybe I can spend five grand cost per deal. Yeah. But I get to do a lot more deals. And that's a great point because, you know, back to when I was saying I, I started in college, I mean, I didn't, I wasn't doing any of these marketing channels. I wasn't spending money on Facebook. I wasn't spending money on Google. Cold callers were too expensive at the time. So I was doing the cold calling myself, having buddies do it. And I, I was door knocking like crazy because I, I loved even cold call. You might make, an hour of calls and you might get a certain amount of people on the phone. Let's say five, 10, you know, good conversations is, is really strong. Door knocking. I just loved getting that. Even if they slammed the door on my face, I got that. Okay. That's a no. I can move on. And I had a conversation. So really, you know, if you don't have the capital to start, don't feel like you can't do it because we're talking about these channels that require capital. You just have to put in the work yourself and get those conversations and, and talk to more people. So hundred percent. Yeah. I respect that too, because I like that everything I do, like, even in motivated leads and everything I do in life, I want to do it myself first to see how it works. Then I can outsource it. So like even cold calling, you did it yourself. So now you know the ropes. Now you can pay other people and not get BS'd on how many calls you can make an hour or what the, what the numbers are, stuff like that. Exactly. Yeah. Don't, I would never put somebody in a role that I have not done it myself firsthand. And I think that's for any, any position, you've got to learn the challenges so you can teach them at a better level. So I'm sure you can relate to that too. Got to do the work. Got to do the sucky work just when you're starting, you know? Trenches, man. That's where you learn. That's where you learn. Oh, yeah. Let's talk about a little bit on process. So like a lead comes into your business. What do you do? What happens? Right away, 
I think something that's overlooked and is extremely important is you have to think if you have a question for yourself and it's a, it's a strong, strong pain point. Let's say you have a, a really bad headache and you need to figure out a solution ASAP. You'll be on Google typing things in, asking questions and you want an answer quick. So when a lead comes in, I don't let two minutes go by before I'm on the phone, either texting them on the phone, calling them. And I'll, I'll normally send out an initial text once a lead comes in asking them, you know, Hey, got your information. When is a good time to jump on a call? Maybe here's a link to our website to check us out in advance. And then if I don't get an answer within maybe the first 20, 30 minutes on a text, I'll instantly call them. And something that is interesting as well, once you send that text, maybe your number was showing up as spam before, you know, there's carrier issues there. And if you send a text and say your name, it'll often pop up like maybe Liam Dalva. So that's something that eliminates maybe some spam there. So text right away, give them a call within 30 minutes, just have to have that initial, you know, initial call and go through your sales script. However, that may be, I know I've seen tons of different scripts and different things. I have something that works for me where I just like to set an appointment. I like to see what I'm working with before I make an offer. Don't have to go back and do any kind of, you know, renegotiating down the road versus where a lot of people will just give an offer, get a contract and don't really know what they're haven't seen the house, don't know where their numbers you know, are necessarily. So I'm a huge guy going out, seeing it, coming back, maybe checking out some comps if I don't have a 100% number from them. And then just being able to make an offer where you have different exit strategies. Don't have, don't be a one trick, you know, one trick pony where you're saying, all right, here's my cash offer. Oh, that's too low. Okay. Hope you have a great day. Like have different avenues. At the end of the day, we're providing solutions for people that want to sell their home, a tra- you know, a non-traditional route. Be able to show them, here's what the traditional route looks like. Oh, you don't want to do that? Okay, here's what else I can offer you. Maybe we can flip it as partners where we, you know, I do a novation strategy there, or maybe I can outsource it to, I have some agents that, you know, can list properties here. Just really trying to give them the best advice, even if it's not a deal directly with me. Like they said, they do want to list it. I'm completely fine with that and just serving them because they will repay you somehow. If it's a referral, I've had tons of referrals from previous sellers because they just said, Hey, we didn't work with you. We put on the market and got more, but you were the only person that told us that was up front. So I'm big about just, you know, solving more problems, helping people what get from point A to point B. And uh, it'll come. It'll definitely come. I like that. And I like your analogy too on the headache because you're right. Like out of 10 leads, probably only one of those leads have like the massive headache. Yeah. Those are the people that are dealing with the first person they get a hold of. That yeah. they like, you know what I mean? So it's like speed is key. 100%. And that's almost like, there's like two different kinds of leads. There may be one that says, I want to sell in three to six months and I'm just downsizing. That's a lead that I, I see that and I'm like, all right, I'm still doing the same processes, but I have to really nurture that one. I know it's not going to be a close on the phone. Whereas if you see somebody in foreclosure or pre-foreclosure and they say they're ready to go within you know seven days, a bunch of repairs to make, need the money for financial reasons, et cetera. That's one where I'm thinking, okay, I may be able to adjust my my you know pitch where I may try and lock this up on the call here because their pain points so severe where if they go back to Google where they just found you, they may try and get that instant gratification. It's a world of instant you know gratification where people want answers to solutions ASAP. So if if you weren't able to do that and you wanted to set an appointment and you're dragging your feet, you don't have that confidence really over the phone. They might go try and find somebody else right away. So 100% looking at your leads based off of their motivation and stuff, you can kind of, you can kind of tell which way to go. Right. What's the craziest deal you've ever done? Mm. I actually had a deal. It was when I was very, very first starting off. So I would say this 
was crazy in terms of the lady being crazy because she was older and I was working with her. I ended up having a contract with her for a while. She disappeared. And I ended up talking with the kids and the kids explained to me that she got into a fight with them. She removed them from the property or or, um, they were supposed to inherit it. And she eventually ended up going to sell the house to the Ashboro Zoo elephants. So she quit claim basically a property to elephants in a zoo where I had to then go get in contact with the zoo and work that out. Very, very sophisticated process of trying to get an elephant to sell you a house, as you can imagine. So we ended up working it out, but the kids didn't want anything to do with the property. It must have been some crazy, crazy fight that you know made her take the kids off the property, but she quit claimed it over to the elephants. And I ended up literally buying it from the Ashboro Zoo. Not the elephant exactly. I'm not sure how that worked out, but it was just the Ashboro Zoo who took it. So insane kind of just you know getting the title and everything clear on that because of how it wasn't a person really on the, on the deed. It was a, a, a whole zoo. So it was a zoo of a deal. That's crazy. You've got to be a problem solver in this space. Absolutely. Absolutely. Got to be able to think. I mean, I, I most people too would be like, oh, okay, I'm 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 not going to be able to buy this from the Ashboro Zoo. But I was like, all right, this is this is one that I need to get from start to finish. And it was honestly a, a you know just a roller coaster of a deal because I didn't know if I'd be able to close it. I didn't know if I'd be able to get in touch with them. I was just starting, so I wasn't the most you know experienced with this stuff. And that was a deal that I mean I learned a ton about you know probate. And, was it worth it? Oh yeah, I made I made a good amount on it for the for the fit, uh, flip I did. I, I think I I definitely made what I needed to make on it. <laughs> good amount. Yeah, yeah, it was a healthy healthy amount, and I was just starting. That was probably one of my first five flips I did. It wasn't a huge huge renovation, but helped me definitely get started on on a lot of different things. So it opened up doors to even you know you can look at what did you make on this deal, what did this deal teach you that allowed you to go do other deals as well. So. It was worth it. I, I learned a ton from it. And the confidence you get from that too, because it's like, okay, problems pop up in the future. You're like, no, no, I, I can solve the problems now. It's like, it's like we, if, if someone wants to sell, we can figure it out. If you have an elephant that you have to buy from, I think any other seller from that point is a little bit of a step down in terms of difficulty. So I, I, I think it was, you know, it did give me that confidence to be like, all right, I can, I can handle anything that comes my way for sure. Hey, quick question for everybody too, because because you use us motivated leads as a service for paper lead. What's your experience like using us for a service? I've been with you guys for a few years. Paper lead is, is something that I think you rolled out, and I I jumped on right away. I last year did around it was my highest um, ROI in terms of what I spent and what I made. Um, I spent just to give you a look at the numbers a little bit. I spent around thirty k with you guys and did about one hundred eighty four in revenue. So it was six plus X um, of what I did with you guys. So I, I will always have a, a budget and a, a plan for, for, you know, paper lead with you guys and have been killing it um, in North Carolina. So don't come take my market here, uh, but, but now I'm just kidding. <laughs> That's all, man. We appreciate it. Hey, what's the best way for people to reach out to you? Yeah, you can reach me on Instagram. My Instagram is I am Liam.14. Um, you can check out my website. It's simply and you can either call me, text me on the number there. That's my, my, my business line. So if there's anything I can help you with, give me a shout. And uh, if you have any deals, let's do them together. Let's make some money. Hey, what's the top book you'd recommend to people? Ooh, top book. Would you say in terms of just like real estate or, or like... Whatever you want. Okay. 
I love, I'm, I'm going to say, uh, I love the book Green Lights by Matthew McConaughey. It's probably one that you haven't heard on here too much, but I'm a huge fan of him. And it kind of just gives you, he gives a lot of different perspectives as to, you know, just how to turn things into like what you were talking about before, maybe negative situations and just, you know, it's all really a mental thing, but I, I learned a ton from that book. And then real estate wise, I will say I'll give the, the Kiyosaki a mention because it really helped and it really helped me out. Rich dad, poor dad taught me kind of the, the ideas about money, but that was just too, everybody says that. So I had to throw in uh, Green Lights by Matthew McConaughey. Check it out. Really good book. Nice. Dude, Kiyosaki's brought up so much. He, I think he must have, he must have created so many real estate investors. It's insane. Oh my God, I, I could, I would say, and you could probably testify to this too, maybe 50, 60% of people, if you ask them about their book, they'll probably say Rich Dad, Poor Dad. So, I mean, I, I, it was a good book. I'll, I'll say that, but I think a lot of people overhype it. In a way. It's like a segue, segues in, you know? Yeah. yeah. Once you read that book though, you will be down the rabbit hole. Like, all right, I'm going to go learn more and study more about this real estate stuff without a doubt. <laughs> yep. hundred percent. Hey, Liam, thanks for coming on, man. We appreciate you. Absolutely, man. Appreciate you. Let's keep rocking. And uh, thanks for having me on. All right. Hey, everyone. Thanks for listening. Until next time, get out there, crush it, close some deals. We'll see you guys. 